Uh, let's open our Bibles today to 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy. And I, I want you to see something about the house of God. About what God keeps in his house. Did you know God has, a, God has dishes in his house? He's got, he's got tools in his house. And uh, he's got a china cabinet. Let's see what he keeps in the china cabinet. Here in 2 Timothy, it says this. It says in verse 19, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I want to ask the question this morning, how many of you want to be useful to God? How many of you are comfortable calling him master? Okay with that? That steps on our toes a little bit. As soon as we start calling somebody master, we're implying that we're not in control completely. We're implying that we're not the boss of our lives. We're, we are certainly just coming straight out and saying, no longer are we the one who's calling the shots. He is the master. Now, I know everybody in the room here believes that God can and desires to use you. There's nobody here that God doesn't want to use. He called you for a purpose. And, you know, the scripture's full of this. You have been called out. Thank God. The old saying goes that he didn't call the equipped, he equips the called, right? So he calls you and he's able to equip you for whatever he's called you to. But here's the, here's the thing. He's the one who's going to do it. He's more than able. He's got all that you need to carry out what your mission is, to carry out what he's called you to. But there is a part you need to play. It doesn't mean it's by your strength. It doesn't mean it's by your ability, but it does mean you have to agree with God. And there's some things we have to let go of so that we can be useful for the master's use. Did you know you can be used by God, but not in the full capacity that he wants to use you? At least that's what I read here. Those vessels of dishonor, vessels of dishonor just means it's not, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bring it out for your, your nice guests. You might, you might let your toddler eat from it. You might eat from it when no one's around, but it's not something you're going to bring out and put in front of the queen if she visits. I have a friend in, in Washington, and he pastors a church, and uh, one of the young guys from his church had uh, one of these hippie translations. And anyways, <laughs> he was reading in his Bible uh, that uh, he was reading this verse, and, and in his Bible it says, and it was a good translation, it's just, you know, you know, you know what I mean. He's reading in his Bible that some, he says, in every house there's, there's vessels that some are for everyday use and some are for special occasions. So he brings this verse to his pastor and he says, oh, pastor, I'm so excited. He goes, I just was reading this and I realized I want to be a vessel that God can use every day. Not just one that he takes out for special occasions, but one that he uses every day. That's the problem with that translation. Because if you keep reading, he says, cleanse yourself from wickedness so that you can be a vessel of honor. That's right. 
See, here's the deal. That vessel of honor can be used every day. What does the Bible say? The vessel of honor is useful for the master. He's not keeping you on the shelf. He wants to use you. But let me ask you a question. There are, there are, there are vessels that you can use every day and you can still use when company comes over, right? You, there are dishes that are nice enough that you can use them every day, but you also, they're nice enough that you can use them when people come over. I want to tell you something that you're not, when God uses somebody, they're not chipped. They're not damaged by him using. They're made better for it. So God doesn't want to keep anybody on the shelf. You can use a fancy dish for a regular lunch, but you can't use a plastic dish for a fancy meal, Right? So we can be a vessel of honor and God can use us for every occasion or you can be a vessel of dishonor and you're very limited in what you're being able to be used for. Some of us are sitting around waiting and saying, well, when's God going to knock me unconscious, grab me by my my collar, put me um, on, on, you know, on a plane and put me in a trance and put me in front of the prime minister and I'll prophesy to him and I'll lay my hands on him and he'll fall out in the Holy Spirit. And then um, uh, he'll take me and he'll drop me off in Africa and I'll preach to thousands of people. Well, the truth is that uh, that's not going to happen, that God wants to use you, but he wants you to play a part in it. He's not just going to make it happen. There's, there's faithfulness, there's obedience, there's, there's this idea that, that we've got to be more than just willing We've got to be willing and obedient. That's what the scripture says. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Here we're talking about different types of vessels, and I want to be the one that's useful to God. I don't think anybody here believes that they're useless, and thank God for it, because God put value on your life. So there's nobody in this room that's valueless, but valueless and useless are two different things. Do you understand what I mean? God values you. God considers you worthful, full of worth. But whether you're useful depends on what steps you're willing to take and what you're willing to let him do through you. Now, this, none of this is by our own doing. No, there is no, no, none righteous on our own. No, not one. Not one of us is good enough to be used by God. Not one. That's the good news. It might sound like bad news, but that's the good news. Nobody in the room was good enough to be used by God. Nobody in the room was talented enough to be used by God. But here's what we can be. We can, we can trust God and say, God, use me. And whatever you say, if there's stuff I got to get rid of, I'll get rid of it. If there's stuff I need to load up on, I'll load up on. But I want to be ready to be used by God. The truth of the matter is, is that you can start getting ready the moment he calls you. You can start getting ready for a journey days in advance, but it's probably too late to build the ark when you feel the first couple of raindrops, isn't it? Some of us are saying, well, I'm just waiting around. You know, I'll start doing this when I know what I'm going to do for God, when I have an idea, when I'm clear about what he wants me to do, then I'll take these steps, then I'll do this, then I'll stop doing this. But what the Lord is asking you right now is to prepare yourself so that you can be used to do great and mighty things for God. It's going to be all his doing. It's going to be all his anointing. It's going to be all his strength, but you're going to have to do some things. What does he say here? He says, get rid of all this stuff. Abstain from wickedness. Now, you might be surprised what wickedness he's talking about in this paragraph. We know that that includes all sorts of stuff, doesn't it? But did you know that what he's talking about in this paragraph 
is a bunch of people spreading foolish controversies, arguing about stupid things. That's the context. He's got folks that are starting to preach that there was no resurrection. He's got folks that are starting to argue about meaningless words. And he says, their talk is spreading like gangrene. But the Lord will take care of that. But then he says, you stay away from these things, Timothy. I want you to focus on what God's called you to. I want you to focus on the word of God that got you here. I want you to focus on your call as a minister. And Timothy, what other people may do, what other people can do, you may not because God's called you to something greater. And you can sit here in the audience and you go, well, that's good for Timothy, or that's good for a pastor, or that's good for a prophet, or that's good for whatever. But I'm telling you, that's for you. If you would adopt the attitude, I'm not being graded on a curve. I'm not judged based on what everybody else does. Other people can do that. But for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God use my life in a way that, that, that uh, is, is better than just, just a lukewarm Christian, or better than just, you know, kind of coasting through life and doing a, doing a couple decent things. I want to be somebody that God can really use. So he says, get rid of this. Abstain from this wickedness. Cleanse yourself. Get rid of this stuff. And he says, God want, if you do this, then God will make you a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Then he says this, flee from youthful lusts and pursue. So many believers are still stuck fleeing from things that they forgot you're also supposed, supposed to pursue something. Your walk with God, there are times you got to run away. Doesn't that sound weird? Randy and I were talking about that probably about a year ago. We are talking about the fact, he brought up the fact that, that so many times we're taught to stand and fight. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what the scripture says. But when it comes to those useful, useful lusts, what does he tell us to do? Flee, run away. That sounds like a cowardly thing to do, doesn't it? God wants me to run away. He wants you to get out of the room. Joseph was smart enough to know this. If I stay in the room with this lady long enough, things will happen that are beyond my control. I'm going to get out of the room as fast as I can. <laughs> People in my generation, just like young, young adults in every generation, and yes, I'm clinging to young adulthood. I'm still a young adult. They sometimes say very stupid things. If you know, if you turn on your television right now, there's some fine enough shows, I suppose. There's good stuff. There's also just a ton of trash. There's stuff that's on the TV now that you would never imagine could be on the television without you paying a special subscription. Especially cable channels, right? Or Netflix, there's stuff on that, that, that now it's just crazy. And here's what I'm hearing from young guys my age who are in leadership positions and other, you know, they, they live far away from here. You'll never meet them, don't worry. But I kind of know they're friends of friends. They're people I kind of know, but I don't know well. And they're talking about how, oh, I saw this on this show. And I, I was watching this show the other day. And these shows are full of stuff that you would never, never imagine letting your kids see. You'd never imagine letting your husband or wife see. Right. I mean, we're talking about straight up stuff that, that believers should never set their eyes on. Right. And here's what they say. Yeah, but it's got a good story. Who cares about the story? How good can the story be? You got to watch that junk. The story's not that good. I'm telling you, that, that, that just, it's not that good. Come on, sir. Come 
oh, it's got a good story. It's worth, I just kind of, I'm able to block that stuff out. No, you're not. You're not. Come on, we know that. Listen, I'm not a legalist here, but I do believe in holiness. I believe in righteousness. I believe that a believer should, should follow after Jesus. And I know you're not perfect, and you don't have to be perfect, but he calls you to be like him. The truth of the matter is there's, there are people that could be doing great things for God, and they're wondering why it's not happening. Why is it not clicking? Why don't I get anything out of my, my Bible time? Why, don't, why is prayer so boring for me? And I'll tell you, sometimes you got to clean out the gutter and clean out the cluck, clutter so that you can get in what God wants to place inside of you. Sometimes you got to get empty so you can get filled. Because that little bit of sewer water is making the regular water taste disgusting. Flee from you for lusts. So what am I saying? Turn it off. Turn it off right away. I know it sounds ridiculous, but my wife and I barely go to any movies. We don't, we don't go to the movies a lot, but when we do, we go to a little site called kidsinmind.com, and we're not kids. We're grown adults. But it sure helps to know that we're not going to be sitting in that theater and go, uh-oh. Now, there's very few movies now that pass the test, but we go, we check it out, and I'm telling you, you might sit here and go, well, that's just legalism. That's not legalism. That's just, that's just being a believer. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm not sitting here telling you if you make one mistake, you're going to hell. I'm telling you this, that God wants to use you. God wants to do signs and wonders in your life. God wants to speak to you through your prayer life. God wants you to have those moments at home where you can't get up because the presence of God is so thick in your room. And you just can't expect that you get all that and all this at the same time. You got to choose what you want. Because God's giving you the option. You can be a vessel of dishonor or you can be a vessel of honor. And the people that God's going to use for great things are not always going to be the smartest people. They're not always going to be the best people. They're not always going to be the most talented. But they're going to be the people that have fully given themselves over to the Lord and said, I want to be used by you. You know what? That's worth more than anything. Remember, the kingdom of God's like a pearl, Jesus said. It's like a pearl in a field that this guy discovers a pearl in a field and he realizes that pearl is worth more money than he's ever seen in his life. So he says, how am I going to get that pearl? In order to get that little tiny pearl that's worth all that money, I got to buy all this land. And he realizes that that land costs as much as everything he's got. He makes his choice. Is that pearl worth everything I've got? And he says, it's worth much more. So he sells everything he has to buy that piece of land because there's a pearl on it. I'm telling you, God's got a pearl for you. The plan of God for your life is a pearl. The kingdom of God in your life is that pearl. And sometimes you just got to realize it's worth everything. I made a decision when I was a teenager. I remember making the decision. I said, listen, if I don't believe this stuff, if I don't believe there's a God, why would I waste my time going to church? If I don't believe there's a God, which of course I did believe there was a God, but this is my process. If there wasn't a God, why waste my time being good? Why waste my time going to church? Why waste my time praying or singing these songs? If there's not a God, why pretend? But if there is, and he is who he says he is, 
and Jesus is who he says he is, then how could that be anything in my life but everything in my life? I said, if this is anything, this is everything. Like, you know what I mean? If this is anything to us, it's everything to us. I, I, I've said this before, but I understand atheists. I get it. If you don't believe there's a God, I get why you'd live like you live. What I don't understand are believers that believe there's a God and then act like he doesn't exist. You know what I mean? He's, we don't want to be a Christian atheist that says there's a God, believes there's a God, and yet when, when all hell breaks loose, who do they call on? Their, their friends, their doctors, they don't call on the name of the Lord. Nothing wrong with friends and doctors. Praise God, we need them too. But first and foremost, call on the name of the Lord and be delivered. Amen. And so here's the deal. I said as a teenager, I'm going I'm to live like this is everything. So I... It changed, it messed with my schedule. It messed with my relationships. It messed with my life because it changed my life. And when I say mess, it's in the best possible way. I can't ever imagine someone who is completely changed by the Lord whose schedule doesn't radically change as well. Or what they enjoy what they do in their spare time. And I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But I'll tell you, let's enjoy it the way God designed it to be enjoyed. Let's enjoy pure life. So he says this, flee youthful lust. Now here's the other part of it. We talked about fleeing just now, didn't we? Get away from it. Run away from it. Don't, don't linger and say, well, maybe it'll get better. Maybe the story will get good. Maybe I'll spend some time with this lady who's not my wife, and, and you know what? Uh, a, a good friendship will develop. I know she's being flirty. I know she doesn't care about my marriage, but I, I'm just going to see how this plays out. Get out of the room. Get out of the room. Get out of the room. You've been addicted to something? You've been an alcoholic? Don't go hang out at the bar. You know what I mean? That's just basic. But now, there are some believers, and their life is defined by what they flee from. But you can't be defined by just what you flee from. We are not called to a life of fleeing. We're called to a life of pursuit. Called to run to, ch- to get something, to chase something. Run to attain something. Isn't that what the scripture says? I run that I might win the prize. He doesn't say I run that I might get away from the boogeyman. He says I run that I might attain the prize. I run to lay hold of that which was laid hold of by me for me, by the Lord for me. So here's what he says. Flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue righteousness. Righteousness, friends, is not the absence of unrighteousness. It's the other way around. Darkness is the absence of light. Light is in the absence of darkness. So you can't just say righteousness is just not doing bad things. Righteousness is, is, is that life that comes out of the fact that you were already made righteous by the blood of Jesus. You've been cleaned up by Jesus. You've been set free. You've been sanctified. You've been called his son, his daughter. Now, because you are righteous, live righteous. Your identity comes first. Who are you? I'm righteous. Who are you? I'm a saint. Who are you? I'm a child of God. All right, let that be your life. And he says this, pursue righteousness. And I wonder what that looks like. 
Do you notice that it's not a default position? Why do I have to chase it? Because though you are righteous, you live in a world that is unrighteous. Because you live in a world that's unrighteous, it does not just default where you wake up in the morning and your, your first options are, you know, just, just what everybody else does is righteous. You've got to choose, I'm going to pursue what God wants. How do I pursue righteousness? I say, Lord, what is your way? Lord, what is your will for today? Lord, what is your will for my city? Lord, what is your will for my job? How do I expand the kingdom? How do I bless you? How do I love you with my life? Chase it down. Pursue it. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Isn't this fun? He's telling us to, to chase after these things. This is something worth chasing after. This is something worth looking for. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. And here's the good news. You're not doing it alone. With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There's two things about those friends that are going with you. Number one, they're calling on the Lord. It's very easy to read these scriptures and say, well, I just got to try harder. I just got to do better. Here's the deal. You need to call on the Lord. Where you are weak, he is strong. The Lord knows your weaknesses. You know that. Jesus knows where you're weak. He's not surprised by it. And he says, if you'll call on me, my grace is sufficient for you. Where you are weak, I'm strong. My power is perfected in your weakness. So you say, Lord, this is an area where I don't do so well. He says, call on my name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous will run to it and be delivered. I'll set you free from it. I'll, I'll save you. So many times we're so ashamed. We're so ashamed by the things that still pull at us. We're so ashamed by the things that we still feel weak. We feel like we got to present ourselves to God perfect and strong all the time. Like, he, like you know, Lord, here's, here's me. Aren't you glad you've got me? Look at me. Look what I can do, Lord. Look what I can say. Look how I can sing. This is me. Aren't you glad you've got me? But what the Lord says is bring your weakness to me. Just say, God. This is me. <laughs> Here I am. I'm all yours. Full disclosure. <laughs> I'm not perfect. He says, ah, but you are. No, 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 but you don't understand. Goes, oh, I made you clean. I washed you. I knew you. I've known you since before you were in your mother's womb. I, I've known you longer than you knew yourself. Don't you think I know where you're weak? Call on me. That's where I'm strong. And apparently, we got friends that are going to call in the name of the Lord with us, with a pure heart. Yes. And I love that. Hallelujah. I love that we've got people around us that are going to call in the name of the Lord with a pure heart, that are going to help us flee from youthful lust, chase after righteousness, chase after faith, chase after love, chase after peace with those who call in the Lord from a pure heart. God's willing to do this. He's able to do this. I want you to turn to 2 Peter, and I want us to see what the Scripture says. Before we go into that, I want to remind you of some Scriptures. We've been reading from 1 Peter on Wednesday nights. And 1 Peter talks about how the Lord has purified us and how he calls us his possession, his own 
Paul said to Titus something very similar. In the book of Titus, he says that Jesus came and he died to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. He, he purified us so that we would be zealous for good things, that we would, that we would have a room for zeal in our hearts. David called out to the Lord and said, I mean, it was after he really, really did some bad stuff. He really sinned. He really messed up. And he looks at the Lord and he says, clean me. Cleanse me. Purify me with, with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. I don't know what Israeli snow looks like, but I'm pretty sure it's similar to our snow, at least when it comes out of the sky. David apparently believed so much in the ability of the Lord. It's interesting that he says, cleanse me with his hyssop, because that was, in the Old Testament, that was symbolizing what the blood of Jesus would do, cleansing them, covering their sin, atoning. He says this, he says, wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Apparently, snow is not clean enough to be compared with how clean God can make you clean. And this is one thing we've got to understand. It's God that purifies us. It's God that purifies us. He's the only one that can. He purified for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And I've come to realize that sometimes when we don't feel that zeal, it's because we've let all this other stuff clutter our hearts and clutter our souls that are taking up our affections, taking up our times, taking up our energy. It's taking up where our love should be. God wants to purify you. Now listen, if I said I'm going to give you something made of pure gold, pure gold is worth a lot, isn't it? But if you say, okay, so it's pure, right? I say, yeah, it's pure. It's got no charcoal in it. Why would there be charcoal and gold, right? Of course. Well, that's nice. Oh, you know what else it doesn't have? It doesn't have any copper. Cool. You know what? Brother, it doesn't have any nickel in it. I have to go the nickel out. I say, what kind of thing are you dealing with here that has all this stuff? No nickel, no copper, no charcoal, none of this stuff. It's just pure. And I say, well, so it's pure gold, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pure gold. It's pure. It's so pure I took everything else out. But But he handed it to me and there's nothing there. There's no actual gold there. It doesn't matter what it doesn't have. If there's no gold, it's not pure gold. Pure is not the absence of something, right? Pure, if I said that's pure water in that bottle and it's an empty bottle, it may not have any contaminants, but it also doesn't have any water. And so listen, guys, pure doesn't just mean I don't have all that junk. Pure is about what you are filled with. God wants you to be full of pure love, pure faith. So what he wants to do is he says, I want to purify you so that you'll be zealous. Sometimes I'm not zealous. And sometimes the reason I'm not zealous is because I'm so full of other stuff, there's no room for zeal. There's no room for that passion anymore. Here's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says this in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God in Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I want you to hear that again. His divine power. His, capital H, His divine power has granted to us 
What's the next word? Everything. His divine power has granted to us everything. Now, you know when you receive a grant that you have every right to the money or, whatever, or the property, whatever's, whatever's included in that grant, but you have to claim it, don't you? God has granted you everything pertaining to life and godliness, everything you need for life, everything you need to be godly. God's already given it to you. He's already said it's yours. Through the true knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and excellence. I love that because it's his glory that he called us to. It's his excellence that he called us to. He didn't call you because you were full of glory and excellence. He called you because he was full of glory and excellence. He says this, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, by these promises from God, you might become partakers of the divine nature. That is a huge statement. And if it wasn't in the Bible, and if I just said it and it wasn't right here, somebody would call me a heretic. Because what he just said was that you partake of God himself. You partake of the divine nature. That doesn't make you big G God, but it means that he gave you his nature. He gave you his DNA. He says he gave you himself, everything he is, he gave to you. He says that by these promises, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Now, here's the key, guys. Diligence means you had to put some effort behind it. Diligence means you put some thought behind it. Diligence is not a product of something happening to you. It's a product of pursuing something. Supplying diligence. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Do you hear that? Moral excellence. What's moral excellence look like to you? Looks like somebody whose life is not just absent of bad, it's, it's reflecting the goodness of God. Moral excellence means you're living an upright life. People can look at you and say, now that's a Christian. But how does it come? By faith. By trusting God. By saying, God, I know my life's a mess, but you can clean it. I know that I have weaknesses, but you're strong. By faith, supply moral excellence. Knowledge. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Do you see that all of this stuff makes room for love? Then he says this, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Practice means you're putting it to work. You're doing something with what God, how did you get it? God granted it to you. God gave it to you for free. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't buy it, but God gave it to you. But now your job is to be diligent and to say, I'm going to walk it out. Now, what's interesting about this is this. And he says, this blind guy, this short-sighted guy forgot that he's been purified. Here's the thing that we see often through Scripture. 
The Lord says over and over again, I've purified you for something. And this is the point that we're getting at today. If you've been confused so far during the message, get this part. God wants to purify you for something. He doesn't want to purify you just so you look pretty to everybody else. And really, it's not just so you're not embarrassing. The reason he wants to purify you is because he wants to purify you for something. God has something for you. And in order to let that life of God fully flow through you, in order to let that fire of God truly consume all the stuff that shouldn't be there, in order for you to truly be able to say, I'm useful for the master for every good work, not just the common stuff. And you have to let him clean some stuff. And you have to let him, like the uh, uh, Old Testament says, he's like, he's like Miller's soap. He's like, he's like a refiner's fire. Sometimes it, that process doesn't always feel so great, but he wants to refine you. He wants to rub off the rough edges. He wants to clean you up so that you can be presented in, in, in a way that reflects on him. He says this, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That person who's blind or short-sighted forgot that they've been purified. But here's the thing. He says in verse 8, that's the negative, but in verse 8, here's the positive. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the question today that we need to ask ourselves. Do you want to be useful? Do you want to be fruitful? I do. I want to be useful and I want to be fruitful. I don't want to be useless. And I don't want to be unfruitful. I want to be useful to the master. Here's what he says. Let these qualities be in your life. Because if they're in your life and they're increasing, and that's consistency. Remember we talked about this. Consistency in the believer's life is not a flat line. Consistency is increasing. Consistency is a steady growth. If these things are growing in your life, you know you're going to bear fruit. If these things are growing in your life, now listen, let me ask you a question. If you were perfect right now, would there be any room for these things to increase in your life? And I said again, if you were perfect right now, could these things increase in your life? No, how could they increase? If you were already perfect, there'd be no room for growth, right? If I had, if I had all the love in the world, if I couldn't be any more loving, then love can't grow. If I was, if I was the most excellent person and I never, never did a thing that wasn't morally excellent, then there'd be no room for moral excellence to increase. But there is constantly increasing. So don't be dismayed today. Don't say, well, I just don't fit. I don't know. Those, these are super Christians and I'm not. Let me tell you, as long as you're moving upward, God's at work in your life. I don't care what part of the road you're on as long as we're driving the same direction. And the truth of the matter is, is there are some people who might be further along the road than you that have been driving longer and they're going a lot slower. I get excited when I see a new believer at the beginning of the highway with their foot on the gas, pedal to the metal, just going full out. And they're constantly looking and going, man, those people are so far ahead of me. Man, those believers, they've been serving the Lord for far longer. Who am I? What they don't realize is the rest of us are looking at them going, I better pick up the pace. I mean, 
I forgot how slow I'm going. I mean, look at these guys. We look like a parked car to them. Good thing I got a head start. I got to... So let me take my car. Let me take my car to some of the some of the guys in the church who know how to work on it real well, and let them clean out the engine. Let them let them you know change the oil. Let them put you know the highest highest level of fuel they can put in it. Let let them take care of it. And probably in order for my engine to run like it used to run, it's going to need a tune up. It's going to need to be cleaned out of some stuff. Truth is, some of it gets cleaned out because of practice. I used to have a Ford Mustang 5-liter GT, and that car was fun. But that car needed to be driven fast at times because if it didn't, it would get carbon buildup. So you had to every now and then just take it on the highway and just not break the law. (laughs) Put it in a lower gear. Open up. Let that engine breathe a little bit. Let it roar a little bit. Let it burn up some of that junk. Because if you don't, it's bad for your engine. Sometimes we just notice, why am I feeling so cluttery? Why am I feeling so slow? Why am I feeling so bloated? You need to get your, you need to get out there and begin to just practice some of the things that God already put inside of you. Let those things out. Let them breathe. Let the engine open up and say, God, hey, I, I, I've noticed, I've just assumed that my life is pretty righteous. I've just assumed I'm a loving person, but I haven't, I don't remember the last time I pursued righteousness. I don't remember the last time I pursued love. And I'm not talking about chasing after a nice girl. I'm talking about pursuing love in the sense of this is work. This is, this, is not, this is not default. It's easy to love people that are lovely. It's easy to love people that love you. But I think pursuing love is doing your best to love somebody that does everything in the world to make you not love them. I'm pursuing love. I'm pursuing love. I'm pursuing love. I'm pursuing peace. You know, the scripture says, pursue peace with all men yes. and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Well, I want to see the Lord. But he says, okay, pursue peace. That word for pursue is the same Greek word that was used for persecute. Like when Paul hunted Christians down and threw them in prison. That's the same word. Have you been hunting peace down or are you just waiting for it to show up at your door? I'll tell you, there's a big difference between talking about letting God work through you what he's already given you. There's a big difference between that and saying, well, you just need to try harder. We just need to do more. This is not a message of doing more. This is a message of letting God work through you. This is a message of letting God purify you, not just from something, but for something. God didn't just save you from something. He saved you to something. He didn't just call you out of darkness. He called you into light. Thank God got a reason for existing and I want to be useful I got to be honest there are times where I don't feel like if the Lord called me first thing in the morning I'd be ready I'm not talking called me home I'm talking about called me to use me the Lord said I got a task for you I think about the fact that those disciples stumbled upon a demon-possessed boy that they couldn't deliver, even though they were doing all the right things and saying all the right things. And what did Jesus say? This, he cast, first of all, he cast the evil spirit out. And then he said, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. 
well, if that's true, Jesus, how come you didn't have to go pray and fast and come back? Because Jesus had already had a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. So many of us encounter a problem and then say, I need to start, I need to, I need to start praying and fasting. I need to get my life ready. Where God wants you to be useful. God wants you to be ready. God wants you to be set because you don't know what's coming down the line. You don't know what he's going to put in front of you tomorrow. You don't know what he's calling you to. So instead of getting ready, once he says it's time to go, why don't you get ready early? These qualities are yours that are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful. I want you to know today, God does not desire for you to be useless. God doesn't want you to be useless. And, and I don't want you to ever confuse useless with worthless. No one here is worthless. No one here is completely useless either. But there's a difference between a vessel of dishonor that's just kind of the thing you toss around in a vessel of honor. And I'm telling you right now, it's not about who you're born to. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about your skills. It's not about what other people think about you. It's about really giving yourself fully to Jesus. Saying, Lord, you have my heart. You have my life. You have me. That's what he's looking for. Would you cleanse yourself from all this other stuff and And I want you to consider this today because nobody can tell you this except the Holy Spirit himself. But I want you to open your heart to this idea. I want you every now and then to ask the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord, God, what is it in my life that's not necessarily sin, but is still weighing me down? Because the scripture says that that we're supposed to let go of the things, the weights and the sin, which so easily entangle us. If he had to say weight and sin, it means not all weight is sin. Some stuff is just stuff that's weighing you down. Some stuff was completely fine for you five years ago, and it's completely fine for brother so-and-so and and sister who-and-who, but right now in your life, God's called you to go deeper. And I want to challenge you today as your pastor. I want to challenge you today to consider yourself more than a seat filler, to consider yourself more than just a receiver, to consider yourself a minister of the Most High God. And I want you to ask yourself, how does a minister behave? How does a minister spend their time? You're under no pressure from me, but I want you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I've just been coasting, but it's about time that I opened up. It's about time that I started going back at that speed again where I was pursuing something. Because the Lord didn't design you just to take up space on a shelf. He designed you for good works. He designed you for good works and He designed the good works for you that you may walk in them. Your life, this is, this is what old ministers told me when I was young. I've heard it over and over and again all my life. They would say this about themselves. They would say, others may, but I may not. What did that mean to them? That meant there are things people do that are perfectly fine and okay. But for me, I'm going to go deeper. Doesn't make me better than you. I'm not going to be arrogant about it. I'm not going to be conceited about it. But you know what? God's called me to a deeper place. And with every time there's a deeper place or every time there's a higher place, you've got to let some things go.
right? When that hot air balloon's going to go higher, what do they got to do? They got to cut, you know, let cut some of those beanbags free. Let let some of those ties go. Let's go higher. Actually, they got to turn up the heat too, don't they? <laughs> Let's let some things go. Amen. I want you to just stand up today. We're just, you know, I got to be honest. <laughs> when I knew the Lord was putting this on my heart to preach, I didn't know how to preach it. I wasn't sure how to say it. But I know that this is something that God's calling you to. It's deeper. And if there's just two people in the room that need to hear it, that's the two people I'm preaching to this morning. I want you to know that you're not just ordinary anymore. You're not just a normal person. You're not called to normal. You're called to great and mighty things. The Lord says about you, I and the children God have given me are for signs and wonders. God called you to great things. Stop devaluing yourself. Stop putting yourself down. Stop saying, I can't do it. And start treating it like this is a call. If God called you, he's the one that does it. He's the one that equips. He's the one that that actually does the work. But you might have to let some things go. In fact, you will. I'm going to watch my mouth. I'm going to watch my time. I'm going to watch my heart. Because I want to be useful to the master. There's some things I have, haven't chased in a while, and I want to chase them again. I don't want to just be a piece of plastic cutlery. I don't just want to be that bowl in the cupboard that you let your toddler eat out of, but you never let anybody else see. I want to be the one that God can use every, for every occasion, any occasion. I want to be ready to go. I want to be trained. You know, if you're in the reserves, in the military, you're in the military reserves, you can't just uh, get called to war and start losing weight and start training. You got to stay in shape. You got to keep training. God's going to call you to some things that you're not ready for. What I want you to do is to say, what, what do I need to jettison? What do I need to let go so that I can be ready? It's not about what I can do. It's about what God can do. He's the purifier. He's the sanctifier. But I'm going to let him do it. By faith, I will see moral excellence. By moral excellence, I'll see knowledge. All of these things will eventually lead to a greater capacity for love in my life. Greater capacity for zeal. 